Electricast. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Leadership development told through the lens of Star Trek. Your host, Jeff Aiken, is a 20-year veteran of the public and private sectors in management and leadership. He specializes in helping people unlock their true potential and is a huge Star Trek fan. And now, here's your host, Jeff Aiken. Welcome. Thanks for joining me today. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Tell me the secrets your universe holds in its thrall. Yep, we're going to the mirror universe. And while we're there, I'm going to help you identify toxicity in your work environment and offer tools to help strengthen your relationships to combat that toxicity. So let's do it. It's the 23rd episode of the second season of Deep Space Nine, Crossover. Dr. Bashir and Major Kira are returning from the first Bajoran colony in the Gamma Quadrant. He is trying way too hard to connect with her on the flight. What are you doing? <sighs> Bellows breath. It is not going well. As they approach the wormhole, though, they're saved by the bell. What's wrong? Or, more accurately, a plasma injector leak. They head into the wormhole, there's a flash of light, and when they emerge... Where's the station? It's all the way back at Bajor at the planet! In the first episode of DS9, The Emissary, they discovered the stable wormhole that connects them to the Gamma Quadrant and moved the station to be closer to it. Weird, yeah? That it would be back at the planet? And as if that weren't weird enough, they're intercepted by Klingons and they're boarded. They immediately cower from Kira and beg to be allowed to return to their ship. They escort Kira and Bashir to the station, where they're met by Garrick, who we know as a tailor, who's actually a former spy, but here he seems to be in more of a command role. And then, the coup de grace, a more sultry Kira steps up to them. She looks the Kira we know straight in the eye, and with a smile on her face, asks who they are. They explain that... This is the Terek Nor Station, the center of authority for the Bajoran Sector. Center of authority? Whose authority? The Alliance, of course. Terek Nor is what the Cardassians called the station we know as Deep Space Nine before the Bajorans won their independence. Now, Kira has suspicions about them. She sends Bashir down to the mines. This is the new sultry Kira. 
She sends Bashir down to the mines to process ore and invites our Kira to her quarters. In her quarters, Kira catches everyone up to speed. If you've seen the original series episode Mirror Mirror, all the pieces fall into place. If you haven't, she totally covers it for you. On my side, Kirk is one of the most famous names in our history. Back when Captain Kirk ended up here about a hundred years ago in what we call the Mirror Universe, he connected with the Mirror version of Spock and convinced him that the violent, imperious ways of the Terran Empire sucked. Spock eventually, Mirror Spock, became the commander-in-chief of the Terran Empire and he changed everything. Unfortunately for them, when Spock had completed all his reforms, his empire was no longer in any position to defend itself against us. Now, the Alliance are the big powerhouse, and Kira is the intendant of this region. Okay, we up to speed here? Mirror universe where good people are bad, and maybe bad people are good. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. It's parallel, but different from our universe. So we have Kira and Garrick in charge of Terok Nor, Odo as the taskmaster in the mines, O'Brien as a scrappy mechanic. It's just a Terran slave, and he's expected to fix things. And we're going to meet a few more people here shortly. Oh, and one more thing. The Alliance have put a protocol in place to be sure that another Kirk and Spock incident doesn't happen. If anyone were to cross over from our universe to the mirror universe... You would probably dispose of anyone who appeared from your side. But Kira loves herself and doesn't want to kill her. They cook up a plan. They're going to try to find a way to get our Kira to return while the Intendant mentors her to be a stronger leader. One catch, though. I will have to kill your friend. Kira advocates for him and appeals to the Intendant's ego to do it. It's, it's really pretty fun. It's like playing poker against yourself. Well, Bashir is really struggling with the ore processing. I he tries to befriend this version of O'Brien, but, but he's cagey. He's not eager to trust. Bashir talks about how Terrence and everyone else has a chance to do great things over on his side, on our side. Like, he gets to be a doctor. Others, like O'Brien, get to be chief of operations. He's interested, but O'Brien is still pretty skeptical. Kira, our Kira, tries drumming up any support she can. She's not afraid to play around with the truth a little bit to get what she needs either. So, uh... Are we close friends on your side? Quark is about to agree to hook her up with a transporter, but Garrett comes in and arrests him for helping Terrans escape. And it does not end well for him. A quick death. Don't make him suffer anymore. No, it's Yikes. In his absence, people are having a good time at the bar. One man in particular... The intendant honors me with a ship and a crew. It's Cisco. Here, he's basically a freewheeling pirate. He calls for O'Brien to come up to the bar so he can fix his ship, and we see the flip side of his leadership style. I don't like Miles. That's why I named you Smiley. <laughs> As they look for a way to return, Kira gets pulled into the politics. Garrick wants to kill the Intendant and wants our Kira to take her place. Now she's getting wrapped into the conspiracy. It's all very, very uncomfortable for her. And the stakes are getting higher. 
So Kira gives up on the transporter plan. She just wants to steal their runabout back, take it through the wormhole, and hope to replicate what brought them here. She even gets some help. Well, hopefully gets some help from Cisco. The intendant decides to hold a party, and the plan takes off. Using a thorium leak and ore processing to distract everyone, Bashir makes his escape, but not before an absolutely epic scene of him blowing Odo into oblivion. I mean, there's chunks and slime everywhere. He runs into O'Brien and gets him to help out. That's not the right way. Bashir offers to try and take him back with them, and they're off. But they run into a patrol, and they're arrested. They get brought into the party, and it all comes to a head. Cisco and his crew turn on the intendant. Have you lost your mind? No. I didn't lose it. I just changed it. They bust Arkira and Bashir out and make for the runabout. Cisco vows to stir up stuff in their absence, and O'Brien joins up with him. The runabout is off and under heavy fire. They make a beeline to the wormhole. I'm still reading a plasma injector leak from the warp core. Yeah, I'm hoping that leak takes us back where we came from. I'm matching speeds and attitude with our last time through. They make it just in time, and they made it back home. Everything is back to normal. I suppose they file a report or something after all that, but the episode ends with them approaching our Deep Space Nine. What a fun episode. We see an entirely different side from some of our favorites and really get to see Kira let loose. As I record this in 2023, we have gotten a lot of the Mirror Universe. It's honestly become kind of a cliche in the Star Trek universe. But at the time this episode came out in 1994, it was a super cool callback. And I loved the direct tie to the original series episode and how there were real consequences for Kirk's visit there. Come to Quark's Crisis Run. Come right now. Don't walk. Run. In the 30th episode of the Starfleet Leadership Academy, Discovery, Choose Your Pain, I talked about the incredible performance review that Saru set up for himself. Now, there's a tool that enables you to do the same thing for yourself and your teams. For your free copy of this tool, visit starfleetleadership.academy and join the mailing list. You'll not only get a free copy of this incredible tool, but you'll also hear about other cool things going on with the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Visit starfleetleadership.academy today and get your free copy. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. I do carry a select line of unique artifacts and gemstones indigenous to this region. 
For the most part, the first two seasons of Deep Space Nine are not that great. Like most early to mid-90s sci-fi, it needed some time to, to find its feet. This is definitely a high point in these two seasons, and one, one they actually pick up on again. DS9 goes to the Mirror Universe four more times over its run. They have a full story arc that runs all the way to its final season, and all the seeds for that are planted right here in this episode. The very beginning of this episode did two things, at least for me. First, with Bashir both being super annoying and trying to ingratiate himself to Kira, it kind of acknowledged how poorly he's been written as a character so far in the series. But it also kind of doubles down on him being a creep. I've always felt you were one of the most interesting women I've ever met. Yeah, not good. Took him a while to get off of this kick with him. Now, I don't know if they intended this as a one-off episode at the time or not. I have to kind of assume they did, right? When you have to fill 26 weeks worth of episodes, you're going to get some random stuff like this. But this was a fun episode and probably an expensive one, too. Redressing sets, uniform, costume changes, lots of makeup. They went all in on making this look different yet uncomfortably familiar. They also had a lot of split-screen scenes between our Kira and Intendant Kira, and they were really, really well done. There's even one where Kira, Intendant Kira, touched our Kira, and it was seamless. And I've got to believe that Nana Visitor had a great time with this one. She was Kira in both roles, totally, but a looser, more sexualized version as the Intendant. It was great. She wasn't too over the top, and she was a complete, pure villain. Super fun episode. I think I've said that a couple times now. But especially as DS9 was just kind of figuring out who it was, this was great. Command codes verified. Have you ever worked in an absolute toxic, tyrannical environment before? I have, and so do the Terrans on Mirror Terok Nor. A lot of people are working in a toxic environment, though, and they don't even know it. I'm going to identify some of the observable traits in both management and staff when this is the environment they're working in. I'm also going to wax philosophic about a question O'Brien poses in this one about how history often impacts our personal and professional trajectories. But first, let's talk about an incredible tool the intendant uses that you can use to strengthen your connections with others and create more meaningful relationships. The Starfleet Leadership Academy is supported by listeners just like you. Click the link in the show notes to support the ongoing production of this podcast. It can be hard to move beyond a passing casual relationship with people in general, but especially at work when you're in a leadership role. Uh, hey, how are you doing? could open a can of worms that you're not prepared to work with. In the last Deep Space Nine episode we did, Waltz, I shared some of the negotiating techniques that Chris Voss shares in his book, Never Split the Difference. One of those techniques, mirroring, works really well in moving towards more meaningful conversation with people. Like, I'll be honest, I've had people share things with me, personal problems, challenges, even successes, that I simply didn't understand or have a frame of reference for. Often in these situations, 
we tend to just kind of, you know, nod, maybe say something like, oh, that must have been really challenging for you, you know, to, to try and at least acknowledge what they're sharing. But instead, you can use mirroring to restate what they said and sometimes even flip it and become an advocate of sorts for them and their story. I'm not that kind of girl. Like, why did I not mm. tell him to go kill himself? Like, it made me so angry. You know why? Because in the moment, if you're a decent human being, even you can't believe what's happening to you. Yeah. And you feel like you should be polite. Yeah. It's weird. In this example that I'm sharing from Charisma on Command's YouTube channel, Howard Stern is helping Charlize Theron after she shared something deep and personal. It made it much more comfortable for her to continue in the conversation. The intendant actually does this in the episode, too. When she's talking to Quark and she wants to be sure that he's guilty of helping Terrans, she says, You did it because you felt sorry for these Terrans. You hate to see them suffer just as I do. Yes, intended. But where would we be without them? Yes, she is being an absolute villain here, like it's filthy and dirty, but the technique still works. When you're talking to the people you work with and you want to move past the surface stuff and actually form a connection, this is a fairly easy and wildly effective tool to use. Mirror back to them what they've said. State it in a way that provides advocacy for them and shows that you're listening and that you're engaged with them. You can gauge the effectiveness of this with their head nodding or their agreement. Sometimes they'll actually start talking faster, more excitedly, because they know that you are hearing them. It's actually, it's really pretty amazing. But, and this is a big but, do not use this to tell them what they should have done or what you would have done. This is not an opportunity for you to fix their problem or challenge what they did. Today we're gonna to talk about me. This is a method for listening, for letting the person know that they're being heard. This builds the trust necessary for you to possibly, eventually, maybe help them fix or solve problems. But when employing this, you should be using the word you and not the word I. Stuff like, yeah, you didn't know who to call. You didn't know what to do. You did the first thing that you could think of. Not, I would have called this person instead. Or, I totally would have opened the door first, you know, or, or whatever. I want you to practice this with someone you trust. A partner, spouse, maybe a colleague. Have them share something with you. And you listen by mirroring and reflecting through advocacy what they're saying. Let me know how you do. You can reach out to me on Twitter at SFLA podcast. The link is in the show notes near the end of this episode. When the intendant is going to execute our Bashir and mirror O'Brien, she asks O'Brien why he is rebelling. This is a great scene. First, he asks if she really wants to know, which I loved. I've used this before when people ask me a tough or potentially controversial question. Like, do you want the real answer? Or do you want me to say what you want to hear? You want answers! I want the truth! In fact, this is a really great tool to kind of soften the blow of tough news. Someone asks you a tough question, and you answer like this, and they immediately know they're about to hear some not-so-good news. And interestingly, 
I don't think anyone has ever responded to me that they want to hear what they want to hear, right? Like they want the real story. This is another cool tool that you could hold on to. Well, when the intendant, like everyone else, says that she really wants to know, O'Brien tells her. He says that life as a Terran sucks, and even if everything Bashir has been telling him is a lie, it makes him believe there has to be something better out there than this. But he drops a line here. It started me thinking how, how each of us might have turned out if history had been just a little different. Wow. Think about that for a second, or a minute, or honestly, for weeks and months on end. What are we other than the culmination of our history? For every brilliant scientist, artist, musician, or even leadership podcaster out there, how many others are out there that outshine their brilliance? But we will never know because they're born in the wrong zip code or country or whatever. Maybe the most brilliant quantum physicist to ever exist is alive right now at this very moment enslaved in a diamond mine, just trying to imagine a sliver of what a moment of peace might look like. To me, this should be one of the highest aims of any DEI initiative, to allow each individual person to contribute their true gifts and talents. In this episode, we see O'Brien squandered as a, as a tinkerer, when in the prime universe, our universe, our O'Brien is an outright miracle worker. Certainly, sir. How else can I keep my reputation as a miracle worker? Wouldn't the Alliance and the entire mirror universe benefit from him being able to bring all of his talents and potential forward? It's like, it's like the intendant is holding on to a billion dollars, but won't even see it because she doesn't like where it came from or what kind of luggage it's packed inside of. When I grew up as a kid, I was in the capital city of Oregon, Salem, or so lame as I christened it. Salem, like a lot of government centers, is at its core a mill town. Like the big industry in town is the mill, and that's where everyone ends up working. Well, in Salem and other government centers, the mill is a group of white marble buildings downtown with old 70s style signs on them that say department of this and department of that, you know, all very official and a lot cleaner than most actual mills. But the same concept applies because of your history. You often end up working in the same space as your family and those who've come before you. Like for me, my grandma and grandpa worked for the government. My mom did, my dad did, my aunt did. And yep, eventually I did too. My father has it. I have it. My sister has it. Now, if I grew up just one hour north in Portland, the economic center of Oregon, and one of the biggest cities on the West Coast, would I have worked for the government? Well, maybe. Maybe not. But the point is, it was my history that played a huge role in leading me to work there. I mean, I honestly resisted working there for a long time. But it was the place to work and the thing to do when you grew up in the capital city. So think about you and think about the people you work with. Where would you be if your history was just, just a little bit different? And then use that thought, use that energy to shape your work culture, 
your approach to accommodations, your approach to recruiting, retaining, and promoting people. How can you help unlock a person's real potential without limiting them to their history? Honestly, like if we as a society can unlock this, we will finally start living in that utopian dream society that Gene Roddenberry had in mind when he started Star Trek. But we're not there yet. Honestly, we're not even close, I'm afraid, especially in a lot of workplaces. When I started this section off, right, I asked if you had ever worked in a toxic work environment before. For some, this is an easy question to answer. Like me, I absolutely 100% have. But for a lot of people, it's not as easy. It's not as apparent. Work might be a wide awake nightmare for them, but well, that's just work, right? They don't know that it can be better. To them, it's just the way it is. For me, there are parts of work that I absolutely love to do, and there are parts I hate. One-on-one -on -one meetings, team individual recognition, getting to present in front of others, <laughs> heck yes, sign me up. I love that stuff. Approving leave requests, navigating contracting and procurement, <sighs> IT project management, yuck. But those are a part of the job. When those things come up and I have to do them, I tell myself there's a reason they give me money to show up here, right? It's this stuff. If I just got to do the cool stuff all the time, <laughs> I might do that regardless of the pay. But that's me and I'm not everybody. For others, Every single part of their job might be something they'd rather not do, but they need the money, so they do it. And as we've all been told most of our lives, right? We got to do what we got to do. Well, me, I say wrong. First, let me talk about what a toxic work environment looks like. You can often tell by the things your managers or leadership says, but you can also tell by the things the people you work with say. After I describe that though, don't worry, I do have a light at the end of the tunnel for you. I have a path out of that toxicity, but it's not an easy one. So let's get into it. First, the obvious terrible environments. Hopefully, if you are working in a place like this, you know it's bad and you're already working towards what I'll bring up shortly. If not, maybe this description will flip a switch for you and you'll see that you should not be treated like this. When I was a senior in high school, I washed dishes at a buffet. I've shared some great stories about this job, but it didn't start out so amazing. My eventual dream manager, Jason, who I talk about in detail in the sixth episode of the Starfleet Leadership Academy, TOS's Where No Man Has Gone Before. Back then, he was just an assistant manager. The general manager at the time when I started was this dude named Robert. Oh, it's been like, been like almost 30 years and I still remember this guy and not for anything good. Let me paint the picture. I'm 17 years old. My hair is a little longer than shoulder length. I wear Rush and Metallica t-shirts every day. <laughs> and I'm just marking time till I ship out for the Navy after I graduate. My job is to wear a plastic apron, hairnet, and ball cap to wash dishes with an awesome group of people that don't speak two words of English. There is nothing glamorous here at all. Now, quick tangent, 
I would love to have this job again. Fun, no pressure. Honestly, it was great. Except for my boss, Robert. There was a company policy on hygiene that said we all needed to be well-groomed and clean when we came to work, essentially, something like that. Well, his interpretation of that included a fresh shave. Now, you could have facial hair, but it needed to be clean and all that. Me, like, I was 17, so I had a borderline offensive goatee going on. (laughs) When I'd show up to work, he would run his finger up my neck, and if there was stubble, which there usually was, he'd reach into his pocket, pull out one of those disposable Bic razors that he kept on hand, he kept them in his pocket, and he'd tell me to go to the restroom and clean up. There was no shaving cream, no soothing aftershave. Nope. It was a twin blade plastic razor and the gross, slimy pink pump soap you'll find in most any restaurant. Ugh, so gross. A straight razor can be a great tool to get a close shave with the least amount of irritation possible. Dude was a jerk and a tyrant. And the only thing I hated about that job, the good news is the company was wise to all this and he was only there for about six weeks. We ended up getting an incredible manager after him that literally changed my life in the long run. So it all ended well. But if you're working for a person like this, newsflash, you work in a toxic environment. Here's your sign. But then they're the ones that aren't so apparent. The ones where you show up every day, you don't love it, and things don't seem quite right. But hey, this is the way things are. Here's a huge red flag in environments like this. You see a thing that could be done better, or you question a decision from leadership that doesn't actually improve anything, right? So far, so good. Yeah, like this happens. But then you get an intendant-style response like, Quiet. No one wants to hear what you have to say. In fact, you're either punished in some way for bringing it up, or a big process is created to placate the masses while ensuring nothing ever changes. That reminds me, I helped fix a lean implementation once. One of the keys to a successful lean daily management approach is for the people doing the work to be able to either improve it or influence it to a point of improving it. This is often done through a mechanism called a Kaizen action sheet or a continuous improvement sheet. It's basically a piece of paper or a document that's used to describe a problem and the proposed solution in a way that's tracked through daily huddles. They're super cool. In its simplest form, you fill out the sheet, bring it to a huddle, share it, and then people break off to work on it. Well, in this implementation, the sheets went into a box, and that box was delivered to management every Friday. The people were told their ideas were looked at, discussed, and considered, but honestly, The management just filed them away and did nothing with them. So people felt like they had an opportunity to share thoughts, but nothing actually changed. It's more subtle than quiet, but it's exactly the same thing. Another thing you'll see is management playing the victim card. Again, the intendant does a great job of demonstrating this. This is my reward (laughs) for treating you Terrans with the least bit of respect. Oh, she was so benevolent and caring that she treated people with respect. And then she weaponizes it in a way to make it a personal attack against her and to make herself the victim. Like, she literally 
just ordered the public execution of two people when she said this, but she's the victim? Wow. Look, if you're a manager, I have a huge secret to share with you. And one, that once you truly accept this little secret, your stress levels will all but disappear. You see, here's the thing. Almost nothing that is said or that happens at work is personal or about you in any way. People get mad and might even say mean things. Dude, that's not about you. It's not about you. It's about the work or it's about the message you're delivering or it's about whatever they have going on in their lives. When your teams are mad or frustrated, even if they say they're mad at you, almost all the time, they're actually mad at whatever the work-related action or impact is that you are responsible for delivering. It is not personal. Swap any person in for you, and they're going to be feeling the same way. Do not take their reactions personally, and then you can actually focus on the message or whatever it is they're actually unhappy with. You take it personally, and you end up trying to get them to like you. And that, that never ends well. Another one that really stood out to me. Our Kira and the intendant are talking, and Garrick brings Quark in. She orders a quick and painless execution, turns to our Kira, and says, I've planned a party for us tonight. What shall we wear? In a toxic work environment, there are often a lot of fun events. Lunches, happy hours for management while the workers toil away. Or, maybe even worse, there will be forced fun for the workers, right? Like a potluck where all the workers have to do all the work, spend their time, their money to bring things that their peers, but also management, get to enjoy while being forced to listen to their manager go on and on about all the great things they are doing. This line hit really hard for me. While ago, I worked for a person that, well, she never actually ordered anyone to be executed, but she would hand out marching orders on who to fire, often for questionable, at best, causes. There was one time that was an almost beat-for-beat beat version of this scene. I and another supervisor were reporting some metrics to her. She was the, she was the big boss around here, okay? She picked two people out of our report said awful things about them, and then told us she wanted them fired and gone by the end of the week. Literally, in her next breath, she asked where we wanted to go for lunch next week, since we were going to do a manager's day or something like that. <sighs> like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I totally worked for the intended. <laughs> well, finally, you'll hear things from your coworkers and your team as well. There'll be the ways they talk, or ways they don't talk that show dangerous levels of toxicity. In this episode, we hear, You don't understand. I can't help you. I, I can't. They'll kill me. Which, admittedly, is likely more extreme than what you're experiencing, but the core of it still exists. Oh, don't tell them that. You'll get in trouble. Or, just do it. It's easier for everyone if you just do it. Right? Like, the language will be peppered with avoidance. So, I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I just helped you realize that you work in a toxic workplace. That sucks. But there is hope. You aren't stuck. 
generally speaking, there are two types of this that exist. There's the one I talked about earlier when I worked at the buffet, and then there's the one that is much deeper and worse than that. At the buffet, it was a person. One person was terrible, and they happened to be in a position of authority that pervaded the climate of the whole store. If this is your situation, you need to report this person. Most companies have tip lines or a phone number for HR. General managers often report to district managers or regional managers, right? Whoever it is, find them and report them. Now, I want to be fair here. This is easier said than done. There are absolutely risks to doing this. Most companies have policies against retaliation, but let's be real for a second, right? What's a policy other than words maybe printed on paper? There's absolutely a risk to making this report. But if your company follows its policies and carries through on what most say they will do, this will be a big step in changing the environment. The other version of this option is to make a group complaint. If others feel the same way, either encourage them to also make reports or come together and report as a group. If you choose this path, though, I will caution you. Anonymity rarely fixes problems like this. Me and 15 other people... Or, hey, a lot of us have been talking. And no, it has to be transparent. Names and faces matter. I'll tell you, as someone that has received reports like this before, I tend to put less stock in this group of eight of us kind of reports than ones with specifics. Like, how do I know you aren't just saying there are more of you? What if I need more info? Exactly who is they? Now, I get it, and I agree. There should always be a safe place for people to report things anonymously. But one person coming forward and speaking on behalf of a supposed group will never be as influential or impactful as a group of actual people coming forward. But what if your report isn't acted on? Or what if it's the second category, where the toxicity is just part of the fabric of the organization? Well... And this is a lot easier said than done, too. But the answer here is leave. Find a different job. Only you can control what does and doesn't happen to you. So control this situation and leave. I've shared stories from a toxic workplace I was in before. I remember when I decided to leave one of them. I'd been applying and interviewing, taking vacation time, paid time off to cover my tracks. But one finally hit. Like, they wanted to hire me. But they wanted to talk to my current employer first. Oh, I was terrified. The second he knew, my boss knew I was looking, he would make my life a nightmare. But I had to leave. So I gave him his contact info. And like eight minutes later, he called me and was immediately ripping into me. And yes, yes, I'm not going to lie. My next two weeks were terrible. But then... I was gone. It wasn't my problem anymore. I was free. It was one of the best decisions I ever made. And I think that's the key lesson here for you here now listening to this. The best decisions that we can make for ourselves and our careers are hard and they often involve risk, but they're important. And two weeks of terrible is worth decades of awesome. It may not seem like it at the time, but you will look back 
and you will be so thankful that you had the courage to go through with that. And listen, I am more than happy to help you do that. I do not want you to feel like you're on your own. Now, I talk about it quite a bit. I offer coaching for people in leadership positions, and that's great. It's awesome. But if you listen to this episode and you are ready to leave a toxic work environment but think you're going to need some help, some encouragement to do it, reach out to me. I will absolutely help. Totally on me. Free of charge. No hook. No nothing. I create this podcast to help create stronger leaders and better workplaces. I will literally put my money where my microphone is here, right? It will be my honor, my privilege to help you make the change and leave your wide awake nightmare. You can reach out to me, of course, on Twitter at SFLA podcast and most other social media sites at Jeff T. Aiken. That's Jeff T as in Tarok Nor, A-K-I-N. You can also visit starfleetleadership.academy slash contact and send me an email. Computer, what are we going to watch next time? Working. The fifth episode of the third season of The Next Generation, The Bonding. This is the first Star Trek episode ever written by Ron D. Moore who'd go on to be a core part of DS9 and even launch the epic rebooted Battlestar Galactica. But this one is kind of a Worf episode, and it's also a Troy episode. Worf takes a child that's just lost their mother under his wing, leading to a fascinating examination of the human spirit. It's been a long time since I've watched this one, and I am looking forward to it. And until then, ex astra scientia. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an electric cast production. Hey there, I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast, Back to the Arena, The Interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock band like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, The Interviews. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.